Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. For this last episode of 2023, I, with my recent health challenges and my recent hospitalization, I really wanted to throw back to our health and wellness event that we had in Dallas. Um, this is a panel that includes founder and CEO of Cananta Center for Healing and Empowerment, Dr. Leti Cavazos. Director of Dallas Health and Human Services, Dr. Sandra Lozano, and Francesca Martinez, the National Director of Health Equity for the American Heart Association. It is so important that we continue to talk about how we can advocate for ourselves and for our health. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This live Wine and Cheese podcast event wouldn't have been possible without our in-kind sponsors, including... Our wine sponsors, Say Soles Wine and Solorio Family Wines. Our VIP bag contributors, Rizos Curls, Vivek Cosmetics, and House of Epas. Our venue partner, V12 Yoga. Cadena Collective for dressing me in their beautiful clothes and accessories. And our hotel partner, The Beeman Hotel. I would like to thank my friend Veronica Torres-Hasley for providing a pre-panel meditation and sound bath and my friend Scott O'Reilly from Oh Boy Productions for doing the videography and creating some amazing uh, updated sizzle reels. And of course, to all those who attended and made my dreams come true, I appreciate you more than you could ever know. Muchísimos brazos to you all. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. which focuses on providing support to vulnerable populations while breaking financial 
and language barrier. So welcome, Dr. Lefty. <laughs> Next, we have Dr. Sandra Lozano, and my nickname for her is Doctora, <laughs> when she's being silly. Uh, Dr. Sandra Lozano is currently finished, well, she just finished up her second residency in preventative medicine, and she is heading back to Dallas uh, in her home city to, she will be, she's to work for the Dallas County Health and Human Services as Medical Director of Public Health. Her first love was women's health and completed an OBGYN residency and practiced over 10 years in both private and public sectors. She became interested in public health and topics such as health disparities and social detriments of health and therefore obtained a master's in public health. She loves to read, hike, and paddleboard in Austin, but she's not going to be there because she's going to come back to Dallas. So <laughs> welcome, <laughs> Dr. Lozano. We're just going to take that whole Austin thing out. Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> And then, last but certainly not least, my friend Francesca Martinez. Francesca is currently the National Director of Health Equity in the Office of Health Equity based out of the National Center in Dallas, Texas. She also serves as a program manager for the newly formed National Hispanic Latino Cardiovascular Collaborative that aims to increase diverse representation in the health and medical sector, as well as amplify his, uh, Hispanic Latino health needs Additionally, she manages over 20 national strategic alliances and partnerships that contribute to the American Heart Association, American Heart Association's impact and mission. So welcome, Francesca. Okay, like, we have some badass Latinas, right? Come on. This is amazing. I'm so excited. I don't know how much I'll fit. Maybe some of you. Thank you all for being here because I think it's so important for us to talk about health and wellness within communities of color. Obviously, we're all Latinas, so particularly within the Latino community because so often we are not taught. We are so much often taught, whatever the doctor says, that's what you do. We're not taught to ask questions. We're not taught to stand up for ourselves. We're not taught about mental health and being, you know, the first gen or an immigrant and having to do the translation and what kind of toll that takes on you. So, Dr. Letty, I want to start with you, okay? Because I feel like it all starts with the mind, right? What as you're in your practice, what do you see most often when it comes to the Latino community and mental health? And is it mostly immigrant and first-gen children, or do you feel like it expands beyond that? I think it's really interesting just to kind of see the dynamic of who we're seeing. Um, I was sharing earlier that um, I, I take a lot of data on our clients, and it's interesting that a lot of our clients are first-time counseling clients, and so the need is there, and the healing is happening for those that are coming forward. Um, interesting enough, a lot of the clients that we see are usually the teens or the younger generation because the, the families are willing to send their kids. So when you ask them, well, why don't you come in? They're like, oh, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. They just, they need the help. And there's still that stigma of, you know, getting help, what does that mean? My teen needs it but I, I'm okay, I'm good. And the adults that we do see, I can't tell you how many of them are, our clients are the oldest daughter in the family. And dealing with the pressure and the responsibility and the expectations that come with that when their parents, or it's passed down from generation to generation, we all know that, that there's kind of this hidden expectation of what you do, what's expected of you, being the role model, making the right choices, and what happens when you veer off of that, you know? And so trying to help people kind of come into themselves and you can respect your culture, but you can also be your, indiv your own individual self too. And so there's a lot of stigma still, I think, with the older generation. There's a lot of 
unknowns and what does that mean or what are they are the other people going to say whoever the other people are because there's still an unwritten expectation of what it is to be a man or a woman in the Latino community and when you veer off of that what does that mean for you what does that mean for your family what does that mean for the community and so hopefully you know as we start to see more healing and I think with COVID that's kind of opened the conversation a lot more that people will see that it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you but it means that you're willing to step up and try to figure out how to be the best version of yourself how do you overcome some of the trauma that were unknowingly passed down so that you can fulfill your potential first, you know, first and second gen, you know, Sandra, you were OBGYN for 10 years, and a lot of your patients were Spanish-speaking, and, you know, because you were the only Spanish-speaking doctor in your practice. So, what are the things that you would see within that, like, kind of in the same vein, right, in regards to self-care, especially for women, and being able, like, is it something they were truly able to accept, or do you think, obviously being Spanish speaking helps tremendously, but what are the things that you would see in that area where people were resistant to help themselves, or where do you feel like that the most resistance was in regards to women taking care of themselves, especially when it comes to their uterine health? So I think it kind of mirrors uh, what Dr. Leti said. So. Um, yeah, I was probably one of very few Spanish-speaking obstetrics and gynecologists in the area, which is the majority of the population there in Oakland. It's probably about 99% Hispanic. And so one of the goals uh, coming out of medical school or residency was that that's the population that I wanted to cater to just because they're, I mean, my mom went to uh, a man, English speaker, so I don't even know how she got through going to her GYN, you know, because we were too little, or even um, surviving birth, all three of us, in an English-speaking hospital, so that's incredible. And so, um, so I was very fortunate that the majority of my patients were Spanish speakers, um, and then later I uh, started working for Los Barrios, and there was, I mean, there it's like about, yeah, 99%, you know, Spanish speakers. So, number one, just the familiarity and you could just see how patients were way more comfortable opening up to somebody who speaks the language. It makes a huge difference. I really hate to say that, but it's true. And it's not just for Hispanics, but it's for Asians. Um, they want to see somebody who looks like them so that they can understand, you know, the culture. Um, you know, there's, there are certain things that we understand a little bit better when it comes to our culture. Um, just the way I was able to, speaking with patients, it's just very different than when I had you know, patient come in. Um, it, there's just a familiarity. I mean, you're basically family, and that's exactly what I wanted. And again, that helps them open up a little bit more, but um, not as much as I wanted to because there were instances um, where women, it didn't matter the race, um, would not specifically tell you what's going on. I mean, having a baby is really hard, and the good thing of 2023 is that's coming to life. You know, we have a huge, Texas is one of the worst in maternal mortality. Um, so that's one of my goals when I come to, to the county is to help with that. And it's just very hard. Um, and the fact that we're, we're supposed to go back in six weeks and I just had a baby, are you kidding me? You know, that just doesn't make any sense. And so there's a lot of stress, especially if you already have children at home. Um, trying to uh, manage all those things at once, of course that definitely leads to postpartum depression. And that those are usually, that was usually the topic that women did not want to bring up. Everything's fine, I'm fine, I'm the woman, I'm taking care of everything, you know, I can do this. And sure, but not really. And so, uh, as an example, I was telling Dr. Lexi, I had a patient who came in and if it wasn't for her husband that spoke up and said, you're not fine and you need to tell her, then I wouldn't have known. Maybe it is I'm not asking the right questions, maybe maybe that's what I was doing, but, um, but again, there's this sense of that as women, we, we have to be able to take care of everything, you know, especially when we go back to work and the children. And we do that, but we do need a little bit of help. So I did come across a lot, a lot of those 
hard conversations that women were just not opening up to. And then when it came to, you know, annual visits, a lot of women do not know a lot about their bodies and what questions they need to ask, you know. Um, you know, I, luckily I, you know, now that I finished my preventive medicine residency, I'm a little bit more geared toward preventative, um, you know, testing and things like that. But a lot of women were unaware of what test to get when I turned this age, or what does that mean with the results, or, you know, so a lot of questions were, were like, well, have you had this done? Well, no, I didn't, I didn't know what that I had to ask my doctor. So luckily for us, we are, um, you know, the only physician for females sometimes. So we do have to cover, you know, cardiology and mental health and things like that. But a lot of women out there just are not aware of what questions they need to ask and what needs to be done. What does this mean? But not just that, I, you know, when I ask about, oh, what are the results? Oh, well, nobody called me. And advocate for yourself. Call the doctor's office. Get on your medical you know, do you have you know, access to the medical chart? What are they saying about me? What is going on? Ask questions. Um, so luckily there's, there's a lot of, it's a little bit, there's more facility when it comes to that. You know, your doctor will answer your questions, but just knowing what to ask, what needs to be done, you know, things like that are, are just very important. And those are questions that we're not asking. And not just in doctor's offices, but also in emergency rooms. You know, there's, I don't know the, the actual percentage, but women, um, the majority of the time are being not looked at properly in emergency rooms. Especially, well, you'll probably talk about that heart attack. It, you know, women experience heartburns and they're being sent home and they're dying. Or, you know, our pain, they don't take our pain seriously. Us women and the African American community, they don't listen to us when we go to emergency rooms or sometimes in doctor's offices. So a lot of it, you know, you were talking about advocacy, you have to advocate for yourself, you know. Um, you know, I come from, my parents are an example. Oh, you know, before I was, now I'm 100% micromanaging their care now. As they're elderly, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of us end up doing. But I'm realizing that, yeah, you know, they would come home and I would ask, you know, well, what did you, what did the doctor tell you? Did you ask this? No, 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 no. Well, I have an English speaker. I'm like, well, you have a translator here. No, I didn't ask. And well, what did you say about, what did they say about this? No, I didn't ask. There's a lot of that going on. And I'm like, why are you not asking? And not just the Hispanics, but I talk to people all the time, and people are just not asking questions. And I'm like, why are you not asking questions? Ask the questions. My mom speaks English, and I'm trying to learn my whole job. Exactly. Yes. I don't know. Yes. Yes. in that same vein, right? And obviously, heart health is a really big thing, especially for women, and it's not really talked about. So when it comes to heart health in women, and women of color in particular, what are the things that the American Heart Association is, is seeing and trying to advocate for? Yes, well, first of all, I'm going to give you kudos um, because for putting on this event. Uh, again, I'm gonna give you another hand clap for that. And so let's give you another um, and then also I'm going to give kudos to these two wonderful doctoras who are sitting here. Um, one of the key things that I know I'm focused on is representation in medicine. We are, uh, Hispanic Latinos are 20% of the population. We will be 25% probably in less than five years. We 
we are only 7% of physicians. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even count female physicians or male physicians. So we are 7%, meaning that when we walk into a healthcare center or a hospital, we may not see a person who shares our same name or who speaks our language or has the same lived experience. We all know we're different, we all have lived experiences, but we know we have that commonality, right? Because of how we've kind of gone through the world. And so that's why it's so important. We actually do have data now that talks about when a care team is representative of the patient, there are better health outcomes. Through the study of Latinos, which is a sole study that's been going on for about 20 something years, um, as well as a recent study that came out in, um, I believe it was Delaware, a particular county, where all of the care teams were African American and the patients were also African American, and health um, impact, I mean, health uh, went up across the board from those modifiable and even non modifiable, from chronic illness. So we have the data now that says you have to be, if you want better health outcomes, a healthcare team should look like the community you're serving. Plain and simple. And that's one of the things that we at the American Heart Association are really focused on. And not just us, but the Amer American Medical Association, the National Medical Association, National Hispanic Medical Association, all of the different medical associations, we know that representation in care is so important. And not just in care, but also in research, right? Because before you get that care, it has to be researched. You have to understand, you know, how protein is working, interacting with, right, a muscle and, and getting this effect, so even in research, right, and then also in policy. So representation is important. And I'll talk a little bit later about something that we're, we're doing a specific program, but heart health, yes, is so connected. I always like to start with definitions because it helps ground us all, and especially now in our current culture of words being used for certain things. Um, health, health is the um, complete state of, um, physical, mental, and social well-being, and not just merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So what we did earlier, that was part of our health. Coming here together is part of our health, right? Going into to see a doctor, part of our health. Not, and not just what we eat or everything is a part of our health, right? So with that perspective, we know that we also um, have to make sure that the full um, woman is being taken care of. Right? Um, we'll go back to um, signs and symptoms. A couple years ago, about 25 years ago, we started a campaign called Go Red for Women because we were realizing, oh wow, when women have heart attacks, they present totally different than men because, unfortunately, the research was done on white males when heart attacks were presented. One of the first and early research, right? We now know that's why diversification in clinical trials is so important. Um, and studies. So we realized, okay, and yes, women present differently with a heart attack. Many times it's jaw aching, it's an upset stomach, it's backache, it's a lower backache. I mean, there's some women, and so it's important to know what those warning signs are um, and your risk factors as well. And so our aim is that every woman knows what knows their own body, knows the questions to ask, knows the numbers to know, and then takes control of their health. There are three numbers, you ladies, um, you know, three numbers that everyone should know when you go into a doctor's office, and they're gonna take it anyways. It's your blood pressure, your cholesterol, and also your glucose, right? Those are the tests that you get. And many times when we hear from patients, oh, they said it was good, mm -hmm. what's good? What, what was the actual number, right? So when you have those three numbers and they say good, what's your blood pressure? It's good. No, 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 I want to know the number. 120 over 80, ideal. Anything over that, what do we need to do? Lifestyle modification, medication, what is it? So knowing those numbers and being armed with that information is so, so important because then we can ask the right questions, right? We can have a little bit of peace of mind. We can find advocates. Right, who can help us, like, well, they said it was high and I can do this or that, or well, these are the questions you should ask. So representation, um, also knowing the, the um, 
Again, the signs and symptoms of a heart attack. Stroke also is a very important thing to know. The risk factors for stroke are the same as a heart attack. A stroke is um, their uh, high blood pressure actually is one of the large uh, one of the key risk factors for stroke. Um, but stroke, um, there's ischemic and trans um, ischemic and transplant stroke. Yes, um, hemorrhagic. I'm sorry, ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke. I can know that. Um, yes. I'm like, yes. <laughs> to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Cheesemith. As you may or may not know, I've been traveling quite a bit for the Wine and Cheesemith podcast tour. So when I traveled to Dallas, although I have a lot of friends I could have stayed with, I did not want to impose on anyone. Enter the Beeman Hotel. Located in Dallas Park Cities, the Beeman Hotel felt like I was staying with friends. The staff was incredibly warm and friendly. The food was crazy yummy, and it's centrally located to get wherever you need in Dallas. So whether you're traveling for business or pleasure, the Beeman Hotel will ignite your curious side with stylish interiors, artistic details, pet-friendly suites, and its uniquely Dallas attitude. Make sure to visit thebeemanhotel.com for your next trip to the Big D. Right now, there's been all these things in regards to the effects of social media. And I think social media can be used for good and bad as well, right, in regards to information. So it's kind of for all three of you, information that's shared on social media. So I would love, would, you know, in start, we'll start with Dr. Lecky and whoever wants to go, but just in regards to, to social media, what are you seeing in regards to impacts to mental health? And what are you both seeing in regards to impact that the information that people are receiving on social media is, is, how, is that affecting how people are approaching their own health and good or bad health? Like anything else, it can become addictive, and so we have to monitor and, and be mindful of how we're using. 
did my research. <laughs> and based on that, I'm either depressed, I'm on the spectrum, or um, I have multiple yeah, Thank you. 
it's a fact, you can check it or whatever, they go, oh, hey, yeah, retweet it or whatever, but it's astonishing how much misinformation, and that gets, more, that gets retweeted more than real information. So always keep that in mind, is what you're posting, what people are posting, read it, always fact check, and, um, and you know, who you're sourcing. Sourcing is very important. Um, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. Um, it didn't just start in 2020. We know it started back probably in 2015, right? Um, with information that we know wasn't true. Um, I believe it was during COVID, 21, 2021, um, we actually started a campaign because we, when we looked at the, the data about uh, COVID-19 vaccinations, we saw Right, that there were a lot of Hispanic Latinos who were not being vaccinated. Why is that? Where, where are they, first of all, where are they getting information? Right? Is it getting is the correct information getting through with the messengers to the community that it's needed? And there was a study that was published that unfortunately, um, you know, let's talk about Meta, Facebook, right? Um, they had said we're going to crack down on misinformation. Right? We're going to make sure that everything is fact checked. Well, they were doing that for English. They weren't doing that for Spanish. So there was 40% more misinformation on the Spanish Facebook than was on the English Facebook. So if you're thinking, if you are living in a world where you have two languages, right, or you have family members who speak multiple languages, someone's getting information in Spanish over here that is not correct. Someone's getting information over here in English. How do I reconcile them? I don't know. I'm not just going to listen to anybody. You know, I'm just going to throw my hands up in the air and just not so that's why it's so important that, um, as Deirdre was saying, that we all pass on the, the, the correct information to our messengers. Go fact check it. And we're not going to put a plug, of course, for the Heart Association, but not just Heart, but also you know diabetes.org, right? Um, believe it or not, WebMD does have some some good information. The Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, right? Reputable healthcare hospital systems that we know are research-based. We are research-based. We don't put anything out until it's been researched and then it's been fact-checked by other physicians in the community that are not paid for by us. They are volunteers. So when you go to those types of organizations, you know that they've gone through some vetting. We have a science team and they will look at every single little thing. We change a word and have to send it back to our science team. That's how much, that's how much rigor we have with the information we put on our website. So yes, if it comes up in Dr. Google, right? Go find the source for it. Go to Heart. Yeah. 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 Yes, it's so important, and that's also why language is so important. That's why, again, representation is so important. Not just in the clinical, but also who was there at Facebook who spoke a second language, who was saying, maybe we should put some parameters over here, right? Who is working on those blog sites and the news sites, right, who have our interests at heart? That's why representation in all sectors are so important, so that way we can know that at least our voice is being heard, or it's at the table. So it's very important, use social media for good. Thank you, thank you. I can't believe it's already almost five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask a final question for each of you guys, and if anybody has any questions, uh, then, and then we'll, I'll say a couple things to wrap things up. But Dr. Lecky, actually for all of you, like when you're looking for a mental health professional, and when you're looking to talk, Look, I, I know it's very hard to get our parents, some of our significant other, whatever, to go to, to take it seriously because they think, like you said, I don't need it, I don't need it. Or they think, why well, I went one time and I didn't like it. How do you overcome those obstacles from a mental health perspective and then even from a medical perspective in regards to making sure somebody is taking care of their mental health and their physical health. I want to make sure I understood the question, but I'm going to speak, and then if I didn't, you can correct me. <laughs> um, so with, with our community, what we know, so 
let them know and empower them that the relationship is the most important thing when it comes to mental health. And research has shown that the therapeutic relationship is more healing than any modality we could use in the therapy room. And so if you don't feel comfortable with your, the person that you're in the room with, that's okay. We'll find you another one that maybe you feel better with and there's no hard feelings. We will not be hurt by that because we want you to be with the right person. And so much so that what the other part of what we do is we really empower our clinicians to, to go out and fly and open their own practices too. And we tell them, take your clients with you because the continuity of care is so important. If they found somebody that they click with, they need to stay with that therapist. We're not going to keep them just because they were our client. Because we know relationship is so important. And so we try to explain to them, you know, just come in and talk to us. And what they find a lot of times is once they come in, they're like, oh, that wasn't bad. We were just talking. And sometimes it's different from the Hispanic communities and other communities because in therapy, you set goals and you reach your goals and then you're like, okay, you ready to, to, to fly? And, and, um, and a lot of times they're like, they just want to come in and talk. And we may not be working on a specific goal, but just the fact that they came in and were able to, to tell us about all the cheese in the family is so amazing. <laughs> and they feel so much better because they got it off their chest and they were able to talk to us what happened at the barbecue and then they're, they're ready to go for the week. And so, so we know it looks different. And I think that's the most important thing is, is just get them through the door so they can see that it's, it's not scary and it's not something to be scared, you know, that it's going to be stigmatizing and it's, we're not going to make them cry every time they come. And it's just an opportunity for them to process their feelings.
you know, and I'll be the doctor, well, we don't put gas in our car when you run out of gas, right? We gotta keep putting the gas in the car, right? Um, so, yes, I wanna go back to mental and, um, you know, health. Um, we took a couple of bold, uh, bold steps, you know, a science-based organization, the Heart Association, American Heart Association, mental health is a key component to cardiovascular health. Like, we have data now, we have science, we have studies that say when we have um, a viewpoint of gratitude and gratefulness, you actually can have better health outcomes, right? When you have a social support system, better health outcomes, right? So mental health is so key, again. Um, and it's just talking. So I will say, you know, um, I've seen a mental health professional before. It was hard, um, but it helped. Um, we are not given tools on how to navigate this world. And so what a mental health professional does, it, it helps give you some of those tools, right? Wherever you are. Um, so I'm just gonna put a plug in for mental health, because that's a very, very important. Or just coming here and taking a meditation class or a yoga class. And I know in yoga, you can just lay down, right? Because sometimes it's just not a day. Just lay down. And then if, I'm sure if you start throwing, she'll, she'll nudge you a little bit. Uh, but, you know, being in this community, taking time, women especially, majority in this room are women, taking the time, taking a breath, taking a step back, taking that five minutes, right? When you wake up in the morning, I'll ask you, how do you start your day? Is it grab the phone? Is it a moment of gratitude? Is it taking a deep breath and stretching? And just look at your day and look at times where you can um, have that moment of gratitude, but then also um, stop and pulse check yourself. How am I feeling? What's going on? I've been having this neck pain for the last two weeks. Maybe I should go get that checked out. Yes, go, go get that checked out. Um, she 
fought for herself. They finally did another mammogram and found out she had breast cancer in the same breast that she had a full mastectomy on. So honestly, that's kind of what prompted this journey to be able to want to talk about, like, how do we advocate for ourselves? What do we do? Because so many of us, like I said at the beginning, are taught doctors are gods. Do what the doctor says. I have, I know I have many friends in here who have been to translators for their parents who have had to, they don't know what's going on. When you're a kid, you don't know what's going on. You're just translating. You have no idea what that means. How is, you know, and then you're, how are your parents supposed to process that? Because you're just translating something from what doctors say. So that's kind of what prompted me wanting to do this conversation in regards to health and wellness. Because it's so important for us to have these conversations, to know like it's okay to change doctors, it's okay to change therapists, it's okay to not know because you don't know what you don't know. So I want to thank all three of you guys so much, and Veronica. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Med on our website, thewineandcheesemedpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of the wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheese on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheese Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.